Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, I want to share with you some real simple things tonight. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 17. And I'm going to make a statement here that I'll spend the rest of the night trying to explain. But you don't need more faith. You don't need an infusion of faith. You don't, you don't need faith. not your problem. And I would say that the average Christian is saying, oh, that is my problem. I know faith works. I just don't have enough of it or mine's, you know, just not as strong as somebody else or something else. Look at these passages of Scripture here in Matthew chapter 17. Real quickly, let me give you the context that he had taken three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he went up on a mountain, and he was transfigured. And they literally saw him radiate light. They saw the glory cloud of God. They heard an audible voice from God. And Moses and Elijah talked with Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that's recorded in the first few verses. Then they came down from the mountain... And when they came down to the rest of the disciples, the nine disciples that were still down on the bottom, a man had brought his demon-possessed son to them who had some kind of seizures. And uh, the disciples couldn't cast him out. And let me just start here. When, G when they told this to Jesus, look at this in verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. We use the word lunatic differently today, but this is just talking about that he had some type of a seizure, something like, uh, I don't know, epilepsy or something like that. And he is sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. So before I go any further, let me just point out that these disciples could not cure this boy. Did you know, how did Jesus respond to that? Look at this next verse. It said, then Jesus answered and said, O first faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Jesus was not pleased with his disciples' inability to heal this boy. Did you know today this is politically incorrect and sad to say this has crept into the church. Somehow people have got this thing that we're just always supposed to be loving and we're supposed to always be encouraging everybody and everybody ought to leave church just totally built up and so happy and joyful and don't ever say anything that could ever offend a person or challenge them in any way. Matter of fact, a pastor of a church, a mega church with 10, 15,000 people, he came and asked me, he took me out to eat because he knew that I'd seen a lot of healings and he wanted to get my input because he was going to be uh, teaching on healing, and he asked me, you know, why isn't everybody healed? And there's multiple reasons. I'm going to talk about some of this tonight, but I said, one of the reasons is they just aren't believing God. And he, oh, I'd never say that. I'd never let a person feel like that they aren't believing God. That's exactly what Jesus said. And he even took this verse the next Sunday and preached from it, and somehow or another turned it all around. But you know what? Jesus wasn't pleased. He says, you're faithless and perverse. What's wrong with you guys? I'm about ready to leave. I'm getting ready to turn this thing over to you, and you can't deal with this. Did you know today, if somebody brought a, a demon-possessed person to a pastor of a church and said, would you cast these demons out? He's having seizures. Did you know that very few pastors... We'd actually pray for him. What they'd do is say, well, have you been to the doctor? Have you tried this medication? Have you tried this? I'm not against doctors. If it wasn't for doctors, all the Christians would be dead. So I'm not against doctors. But I'm saying that most Christians, the first line of defense is go to the doctor. If somebody comes, it's poor. Well, have you been to the government? Have you applied for this loan? Have you taken advantage of unemployment? Have you done this? We look everywhere except to the Lord. The Lord was disappointed with that. And he says, you're a faithless and perverse generation. You know, I said this this morning for those of you that were here, but I'm, I'm leaving. And I'm going to just say things and let Dwayne fix all of this. That's what pastors are for. 
But did you know that church, church is the one that started the prison system? The Presbyterian church started prison system because did you know back in the 16 and 1700s, they would beat you. They'd flog you openly. They'd put you in the stocks in the United States. And if you kept doing it after a while, they'd kill you for stealing a piece of bread. They didn't have prison systems. And the Presbyterian church decided that there's bound to be some way to rehabilitate these people. So they took them and locked them up and started praying for them and helping them. And they started seeing people change and the government saw that it worked. And so the government stepped in and started prisons. But the church shouldn't have ever advocated and turned it over to the government. If you aren't a crook, when you go into prison, you will be by the time you come out. I mean, the recidivism rate in prisons is terrible. You know why? Because the church is supposed to be doing this. Did you know that the church is the one that started schools? We shouldn't have ever turned education over to the government. The government was not given a command to train up our children. The church started teaching people how to read so that they could read the Bible. And yet the churches advocated our responsibility and turned it over to the government. And the riots that we're seeing now, you know, Pastor Ken mentioned that, the riots and the things that we're having, the cancel culture is because of generations of kids that have been raised without hearing the truth about this nation and the godly heritage that we have. They have been polluted. Over 95% of all professors in our colleges are absolutely ungodly. There's, I think there's, I forget the exact figure, but it's something like 5% of the U.S. population, maybe 10% or something claims to be atheist. There's nearly 50% of our college professors that claim to be atheist. They are all ungodly. We shouldn't have ever turned the, the education over to them. Yale, Harvard, Princeton were all started as divinity schools, and now they are anti-Christ. Jesus is not pleased. We think this is normal. Well, a pastor shouldn't feel bad if you can't get a person healed. Jesus is saying you're a faithless and perverse generation. This ought to be the ministry of the church. They ought to be cutting holes in the roof to let the sick in because there's so many people crowded in here. That's what they did with Jesus. And yet today, the average pastor, well, why are you coming to me? Have you been to the doctor? Have you been to the lawyer? Have you been to the government? Jesus wasn't pleased with all of this. And then it says in verse... 18, and Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. This is recorded in two other gospels and, and I'm going to refer to some of those things. This just summarizes it real quickly, but Jesus dealt with the problem. And then look at this. This is what I was wanting to get to in verse 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? Now it's, under, it's important that you understand the background. The reason they were saying, why couldn't we cast him out? Is because they had cast out devils. If you turn over to the 10th chapter, Jesus gave them power and authority over all sickness, over all disease, and over all demons to cast them out. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And he sent them out, and in verse 8, he says, heal the sick. He didn't say pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. Today, you will hear Christians, well, let's pray for you, and they'll pray, but they don't heal the sick. You are commanded to heal the sick. Who was the guy that had the healing rooms? John G. Lake. John G. Lake had this revelation, and as a result, he had people that he called healing practitioners. I think you guys have healing rooms, don't you? And they had healing practitioners, and he would send people. People would come and ask for prayer, and he would give people a little bottle of oil, and he says, go pray for this person and don't come back to their healed. And they wouldn't just go pray for a person. They would go pray with that person and stay with them until they got healed. And the longest any person ever stayed gone was three weeks. But they would stay with the person until they were healed. And they saw so many healings that they actually closed one of the hospitals in Spokane, Washington because there weren't sick people. He was actually given a medical license even though he had no medical training because he was more effective than the doctors. He didn't just pray for the sick. He healed the sick. You have the power to make a person get healed. 
They had this authority and they had used it. In the 10th chapter, they went out and prayed for people. And in the 10th chapter, when they came back, they said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. So they had seen it work. The reason this is so significant, they said, why couldn't we cast him out? See, if they were people that had never done it, they wouldn't have asked this question. If they were people that didn't believe that they could do it, they wouldn't have asked this question. These were people who believed in healing. They had seen it work. They had cast demons out, and yet this time it didn't work. The people who believe in healing are the ones who probably have the biggest questions about why don't we see it happen every time? The people who don't believe in healing, they just write it off as God doesn't do these things today, and so they don't deal with this. But I can guarantee you that by the number of people that held up your hand and you're believing God for a healing tonight, you must believe in healing or you wouldn't be here, and yet you haven't seen the healing manifest. And probably the majority of you have asked this question about, I believe in healing. Why haven't we seen it happen? What's the problem? Look at Jesus' answer here. In verse 20, Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. And let me just point out, I know that different people use different translations. I'm not really against all the different translations, but like the NIV, it says it's because of your little faith. That's totally wrong. That's totally wrong because look at the rest of this verse. He says it's your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you should say unto this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and it'll obey you. So the point he's making is you don't need huge faith. If your faith is as, as small as a mustard seed, I've got mustard seeds. I don't have one with me right now, but if I was holding it up here, the people in the front row couldn't see it. It's a little tiny seed. The point that he's making is you don't need a big faith. Let me make a statement here. It's going to shock some of you, but if you're born again, you didn't get born again by your faith. I used a verse this morning, Ephesians 2, 8. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You can say that that salvation's not of yourself and that's true, but you can also say that faith is not of yourself. God has to give you faith to believe on him. It takes supernatural faith, human faith. When I was a kid, they used to bring a chair up on the stage and they would set a chair there and they said, it's faith to sit in this chair that you've never sat in before. It's faith to fly in an airplane. You don't know how an airplane flies. You don't know who the pilot is. You're doing it by faith. It's faith to drive through an a intersection and trust that the light is red on the other side. Well, that's human faith. Supernatural faith, God's kind of faith is he calls those things that be not as though they were. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. And so a greater example of God's kind of faith is come sit in this chair, the one that you can't see. Now that would be an example of what it takes to get saved because when you're getting saved, you're believing in a God you've never seen. You're believing in a devil you've never seen. You're believing in heaven that you've never seen. You're believing in hell that you've never seen. You're believing in things that can't be seen. You can't do that with human faith. Human faith won't let you sit in this chair. And if you had a chair up here that only had three legs and the thing was teetering and you could tell it was about to fall apart, human faith wouldn't let you sit in that. Human faith wouldn't let you fly in a plane if you saw the wheel had a flat or something like that on the thing or if the wing was broken off. Human faith is based on what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Supernatural, God's kind of faith, it only comes from Him. It comes by hearing the Word of God. So you have to use supernatural faith to get saved. And here's a radical statement. If you are born again, if you are saved, you have God's supernatural faith on the inside of you, you don't have a faith problem. Amen. Believing for salvation is the greatest use of your faith you could ever believe for. Think of it this way, that when you got saved, you hadn't been fasting, praying, studying the word, going to church, paying your tithes. Most of you were living a terrible life, using profanity, getting drunk, doing all kinds of things, and yet you believed and received this great miracle of being born again, and you didn't have any goodness to your credit whatsoever. And yet you received the greatest miracle that ever was. Did you know your healing of your body is infinitely less than the uh, healing of your spirit man, and you're getting born again? 
Getting healed is nothing compared to being saved. If you've already been saved, you have enough faith to get healed. You don't have a faith problem. You got an unbelief problem. And some people think, well, what's the difference? If I've got unbelief, that means I have no faith. No, that's not true. These disciples had faith. That's the reason that they tried to cast the demon out. They didn't just sit there and say, oh, well, we can't cast this demon out. No, they knew that they could. They had done it in the past. They tried. There was faith present, but they also had unbelief. And unbelief negated their faith. Here's a concept that most people don't have. They think either you are in faith or if you have any thought of doubt, then you aren't in faith. And if, you're, if you have any thought of faith, then you aren't in doubt. No, they aren't mutually exclusive. You can have faith and yet disbelieve. Matter of fact, if you read this same thing over in Luke's account, just for time's sake, I'm not going to do this. But if you turn over to Luke, uh, Jesus called the man and the son unto himself and uh, he asked him, he says, how long has it been since he's had this? And he said, from a child. Sometimes he falls into the water, sometimes into the fire. But if you can do anything. See, this man had begun to start wavering in his faith because the disciples hadn't been able to cast the demon out of this boy. So this man said, if you can do anything, have mercy on me. And Jesus just turned it right around. And he says, if you can believe, all things are possible. Jesus wasn't about to accept full responsibility for this. He was trying to get this man back into faith, if you can believe. And this man said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't say, now that's not right. You either believe or you don't believe. No, he, he just went ahead and ministered to him. And it says when he saw the people come running together, he turned and rebuked the devil. Did you know... <laughs> Again, Dwayne will fix all this when I'm gone. But one of the worst things you can do is when you have a problem is to call the prayer chain and get a hundred people talking about, oh, did you hear what the doctor said about Susie? She's dying. We got to pray. And they just speak death over it. Now, praise God. I believe you guys got good prayer warriors here, but I'm saying typically the more people that know about your problem, the harder it's going to be to overcome it because they're going to speak doubt and unbelief over you. When Jesus saw the multitudes coming running together, he knew, you know, Jesus had tried to go in and minister to Jairus' daughter. She was dead and the people were mocking him and laughing at him and he kicked them all out. He had to get rid of the unbelief. Elijah and Elisha, both when they raised people from the dead, had to get rid of the unbelief in order to do it. Did you know that the unbelief of other people will affect you? And so Jesus, when he saw the people starting to come together, man, he cast the demon out so he wouldn't have to deal with all of their unbelief. It says in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, that in Jesus' hometown, he could do no mighty work. Not that he wouldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Not because he was inadequate, but because of their unbelief. It says in Matthew 13, 58, the same passage, Mark 6, 5, but it's said differently in Matthew. It says... Uh, that he marveled at their unbelief. Their unbelief kept Jesus from healing. Unbelief is the problem, not lack of faith. If you've got enough faith to be born again, you've got enough faith to raise the dead. Unbelief's not the problem. It's your un it, I mean, faith is not the problem. It's your unbelief that's the problem. Look at it this way. It's like if I had a big weight right here in front of me, you know, I... Other people use different examples, but I've had horses my whole life. And if I had a weight here, you could hook a horse up to it and exert enough power to drag that weight and to move it. But if you had a horse of the equal size hooked up and pulling in the opposite direction, you could exert tremendous force. And yet the net effect on the weight would be zero because they cancel each other. Faith, all it takes is a mustard seed amount of faith. You don't have to be a faith giant to see a miracle happen, but you have to have a pure faith that isn't counterbalanced by unbelief. And this is where most of us are missing it is because we just live in a culture of unbelief. This is an unbelieving culture. I don't know if there's anybody who would disagree with that statement, but if you do, boy, you, no wonder you aren't seeing something happen. We live in a culture that is full of unbelief 
full of negativity. If you talk about believing God, I guarantee you, you're going to be ridiculed and made fun of. Some people think, well, we aren't persecuted today. You you aren't living godly. Second Corinthians or Second uh, Timothy chapter three verse twelve says, "Yea, all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." If you aren't being persecuted, it's because you aren't godly. You may be born again, but you aren't living a godly life. I guarantee you, if you start speaking things and saying the truth, people are going to mock you and make fun of you. We, our culture is anti-God. You know what they call political correctness? The Bible calls that the spirit of Antichrist. They aren't against Mohammed, Buddha, any of those people. They can do anything. But man, you stand up for Christ and there is what they call political correctness. It's Antichrist. It'll push back at you. We live in a culture of unbelief. They make fun of people. Like my son was raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. My wife was raised from the dead. I can say that in church, but if I said that on a news program and stuff, I guarantee you, I, they would ridicule me. People do not believe this stuff today, but it's true. We live in a culture of unbelief, and we are bombarded. We are baptized in unbelief, and if you disagree with that, it's just because you aren't paying attention. There is unbelief everywhere around us, and the problem isn't that you don't have faith. You're here on a Sunday night for a healing service because you have faith. You believe that God can heal and that's all that's necessary. But we've got so much unbelief that counteracts our faith. And so the problem is we got to get rid of the unbelief. You know, if you could imagine two scales here, like a thermometer, and one of them measures your faith and one measures your unbelief. Most people don't even think about their level of unbelief. They just think about my faith not big enough. I need more faith. God, give me more faith. You know, the disciples asked that in the 17th chapter of the book of Luke. Lord, increase our faith. And he says, you don't need more faith. He says, it's like a person that has a slave. You just aren't using what you got. You don't need more faith, but we have all of this unbelief. Most people aren't even aware of that. So rather than trying to build your faith and just build your faith and get more and more faith, you know what you need to do is pull the plug on unbelief. Drain your unbelief down to zero, and that little tiny mustard seed amount of faith is enough to do anything. And let me say some things again. There's always, there's more to say than what I've got time to say. And so Dwayne and the staff here will fix all this when I'm gone. But did you know the reason, like when we were singing that song tonight, I love that song about you are here moving in our midst. We sing that at our Karis Bible College. And I tell you, there's times that I've just hit my knees in the presence of the Lord. You know what that does? It takes away unbelief. We're singing about you are here, which the Bible says he's always here. Anytime two or three are gathered in our midst. But the truth is most people don't think about that. Most people are thinking about something else. They had a fight on the way to church. They're talking about something else and they aren't thinking about it. And when you start worshiping the Lord, you focus your attention on God. You start focusing on him and unbelief is like a leech or something. It's got to have something to feed on. And if you aren't focused on negative things that feed unbelief, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Unbelief comes by hearing all of the stuff that's contrary to the Word of God. If you quit listening to the devil and stuff, faith just dries up. So when you start singing about you are here and worshiping the Lord, you know what that does? It gets rid of your unbelief. And if somebody starts saying, man, did you hear what's happening at Res Life? They're seeing miracles happen. There's a move of God. God's moving. The Toronto blessing or something else. People will go to promoting it and people start coming, expecting things. And they believe that, you know, all of a sudden now God's going to do something. The truth is God's ready to move all of the time, anytime. But our unbelief hinders us. And so we've got to have the song service just right. We've got to have the smoke machines and the lights. And when everything gets just right, well, then all of a sudden God's here. God's here all of the time, but your unbelief is stopping him from working. When you get into an atmosphere, nothing has changed. God hadn't changed. Your unbelief has changed. There's a friend of mine. He's now gone to be with Jesus. 
uh, Bob Dunbar. He was a Pentecostal pastor in Colorado Springs, and he used to travel with Jack Coe. Any of you hear Jack Coe? Jack Coe was one of these healing revival guys, and I was actually ministering in France telling this story, and Jack Coe Jr. was in the audience, and he came up and verified this story. But Jack Coe was one of these guys. He was radical. He saw dramatic miracles happen. And one time he was praying for a woman that had a growth on her face, cancer. And he got her and he started massaging in that growth and just squeezing it. And what he was doing was digging his fingernails in underneath this thing. And once he got a good hold on that, he just ripped this cancer off that woman's face and then slapped her. I mean, blood spurted everywhere. And then he slapped her and instantly her face was normal. And she was just healed. He saw great miracles happen. But this friend of mine, Brother Dunbar, used to travel with Jack Coe, and he was an assistant with Jack Coe. And he got mad because Jack Coe manipulated the people. And one of the ways he did it, this was back in the 50s, and uh, they would have tent revivals, and people would come to these tent revivals, and, uh, you know, they would have to be there hours in advance. And the people who were really paralyzed and on stretchers and things like that, they couldn't get up and go relieve themselves, and so they would soil their clothes and their sheets and stuff like this. And it was Brother Dunbar's job to separate the invalids from those who could get up and go to the bathroom and relieve themselves and those who couldn't. And so they had an invalid section in the front, and Brother Dunbar had checked every one of those. They could all, even though they were in a wheelchair, had crutches, on a stretcher, they could get up and go to the bathroom and relieve themselves if they needed to. And Brother Dunbar checked them all and put all of those uh, invalids, but people who could move in the front. And then at the back is where they kept all of the people that were totally paralyzed and stuff like this because the stink was bad. And so that's the way that they did the thing. And Brother Dunbar got mad because Jack Cole would get up and he would preach his message and build people's faith. And then he would say, man, the power of God's here. He'd jump off the stage and grab somebody out of a wheelchair and pull them out. And they'd start trying to shuffle like this. And everybody would think that they were totally paralyzed before. They weren't. They could have done this in the first place. But he would get there and start moving. And then he'd take somebody's crutches and throw them up on the stage. And he says, man, the power of God's here healing people. And Brother Dunbar got so mad because he was manipulating the crowd that he actually got in his car and he was driving out of town and saying, God, I'm not going to be a part of this. And as he was driving out of town, God just spoke to him and he says, and what does he do after that? And you know what he'd do? He'd go back to the back to the people who were totally paralyzed and see a hundred or 200 people come out of wheelchairs and off of stretchers. You know what he was doing? He was getting rid of their unbelief. He was making these people think God's here. And their expectation rose. And it was just their mustard seed amount of faith, but they all of a sudden got rid of the unbelief. Now, am I endorsing that? No, I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but I'm saying I know exactly what he was doing. People come in and they say, oh man, it's another healing service and I wonder if anything's gonna happen. And you're just sitting here as a spectator, but you aren't truly believing God. You aren't fighting against the unbelief. And you're just waiting on something to happen. And if you could see a miracle, if somebody else gets saved, all of a sudden, man, you go to believing, it's here. God's here. Well, he's here already. But the problem was you weren't believing it until you see somebody jump a pew, until you see somebody get out of a wheelchair. And you don't have to manipulate people in a bad way. You can get to where you just believe. And if you would get rid of your unbelief, then the little mustard seed amount of faith that you've got is more than enough to see the dead raised. The very first person I saw raised from the dead, I was getting up and starting a service, and this was just a little small group, a hundred people or so, and I had my guitar on, I was getting ready to sing, and a guy came to the door and motioned for me. I went over, and he grabbed me and threw me and the guitar and everything in his car and drove me over to his father's house, and when I walked in, the sheriff was there fumbling, trying to get his uh, equipment out, and uh, he had never dealt with anything like this. It's only a town of 144 people, and he was trying to get his uh, defibrillator out, and I walked in, and the man's wife, he was laying in a lounge chair, and the man's wife was going, oh, God, bring him back from the dead, 
And when she said that, that's the first time I knew that he was dead. I didn't know what they wanted me to pray for. I walked in and she just said, oh God, bring him back from the dead. And I said, Everett, come back into your body. And he sat up and started talking. And they took him to the hospital and they checked him out. He had gout. He couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair. They made him start walking two miles a day. And the guy was just miraculously healed. And I'm convinced one of the reasons that it worked is because if God, if they would have told me, my dad's dead, would you go pray for him? The two minutes it took me to get from the building to his house, I probably would have had enough doubt that I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to do it. But I just walked in. I'd been praying for him for weeks and I was seeing him get better. And I thought he just had another headache, another pain. And when I walked in and heard that, I just said, Everett, sit up. And he just sat up and started talking. It doesn't take great faith. It just takes a faith that isn't negated, counterbalanced, polluted by unbelief. Unbelief is the problem. So again, if you've got the nearly inspired version that says it's little faith was the problem, it's not little faith, it's unbelief that's the problem. And if you've got the nearly inspired version, it doesn't even have verse 21 in it. Did you know that the NIV just decided to take verse 21 out? It's not in the NIV. You ought to get you a real Bible. It has all of it in there. So in verse 21, after he said, it's your, it's your unbelief that's the problem because if your faith is only this big, you could speak to a mountain and see it cast into the sea if you don't doubt. Look at this. The next verse, he says, how be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. A lot of people think that this is talking about this kind of demon. I'm telling you, there is no such thing as a demon that won't respond to the name of Jesus and faith in his name. And if you ever meet a demon that it takes prayer and fasting plus the name of Jesus to get him out, you might as well hang it up. Prayer and fasting doesn't get rid of demons. It's not talking about demon. What was the subject? Unbelief. Unbelief was the subject. And this kind of unbelief only comes out through prayer and fasting. And so this is just andeology. I can't show you a verse for this, but this is my seeking the Lord and things that I've learned. I've got three types of unbelief. I'm sure you could probably come up with more, but three types of unbelief. One, one way that unbelief comes to people is through ignorance. What you don't know is killing you. The Lord said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And if you don't know that it's God's will to heal, well, then that, that will cause you to believe wrong. Faith is based on knowledge. Second Peter chapter one, verse three says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Knowledge, faith is based on knowledge. Before I learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I never spoke in tongues. You won't speak in tongues. It doesn't come on you like a seizure. You don't catch it. You have to believe and receive. If you don't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, you'll just automatically have unbelief for it because it's not normal. It's not natural. So one way that unbelief comes is just through ignorance. You know, the antidote for that is the truth. Tell a person the truth. And if they haven't heard the truth before, the truth will set them free. I had a woman that I met with yesterday. She's one of our Bible college students, Cindy is her name. And she heard me here two, two years ago. And she said she'd never heard the things that she heard me say, but when she heard it, well, it was true. And it just set her free. And she's been miraculously set free and just praising God. So one way that unbelief comes is because you've not heard the truth. You've got to hear the truth and that truth will overcome that type of unbelief. The second type of unbelief is when you have knowledge, but it's all the wrong knowledge. And that's actually worse. That's harder. Because it's like a, if you had a blackboard or something up here, and if nothing's written on it, well, then I could just go up there and start writing the truth on it, and it would be fine. But if you've already got the thing full of writing, I have to erase what you've got there before I can write the correct things on it. So people that have been taught through religion and have been taught things like it's up to God whether or not you get healed. 
God picks and chooses who he wants to heal. That's wrong thinking, but it causes unbelief and it'll cause you to sit there and think, well, I'm not sure that God wants to heal me. And so wrong teaching will also cause unbelief. But the antidote to that's the same. It's just more effort because you got to counter the wrong stuff that's been taught before you can teach the proper stuff. But it's the same answer. You just tell them the truth. And if they will receive it, you can erase that wrong teaching and write the right thing on their heart. The third type of unbelief is what I believe the Lord's talking about. And that's just talking about natural, what I call natural unbelief. It's not based on the fact that you've been taught wrong or that you don't know. It's the fact that you've just, like for instance, you pray for somebody and pray for them to be healed and they fall over dead. And you're naturally going to think, didn't work. <laughs> That's just natural. It's not demonic. It's not wrong teaching. It's just natural. Jesus prayed for this boy. And did you know the first time he prayed for him, he fell on the ground and began to scream and wallow and foam at the mouth. It didn't look better. It looked worse. And many times you'll find this, that when you have something wrong with you and you pray for, it'll actually get worse. And if you have any, any indication or any inclination for unbelief, then you'll begin to think, well, it didn't work. And that'll stop that little mustard seed amount of faith that you've got going. How do you overcome unbelief that just comes from natural things? You know, again, it doesn't say exactly what happened with these disciples. But since when this boy was brought to Jesus and he fell on the ground and foamed at the mouth. And while if you've ever seen anybody with an epileptic seizure. I remember I was in high school and a, a girl right in front of me, we were in choir on, on the stage and she turned around to me and she bit her tongue and was foaming at the mouth and fell into my arms having an epileptic seizure. And I tell you what, it's scary. It's scary when you see something like that. Since that happened when, when he was brought to Jesus, I'm just supposing that that happened when he was brought to the disciples. And you know what? They'd cast out demons before, but apparently not without, not with this kind of a manifestation. And when they saw something that was completely contrary to what they were believing for, they were more dominated by what they saw than they were by what the Word of God said. That's just natural unbelief. You pray for a, a pain to go, and you say in the name of Jesus, and then you feel, and it's still there. You're just naturally going to feel some unbelief. You're going to naturally do it. It's not evil. It's not demonic. You've got senses, and, and you can't just turn them off. You know, if you were going to take me to the airport tomorrow, if you were going to drive me there, I don't want you driving me there by faith. I want you to use your senses, amen. I want you to, you know, look, open your eyes, and use your ears. And there's nothing wrong with our senses, but... There are things that God asks of us that has to go beyond your five senses. You have to walk by faith and not by sight, which is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says. Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Sad to say, most Christians walk by sight and not by faith. So how do you get rid of just this natural unbelief? Fasting and prayer. And here's why fasting and prayer works. Did you know when you fast, you got five natural senses, what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And did you know this appetite, your taste is one of the strongest desires that we have. And it's one of the easiest to aggravate. You go without food for one day and most people feel like they're dying. The truth is you aren't dying after one day. The doctors will tell you it's actually good to fast one day a week. You don't start dying on a fast until 40 days. That's the reason that when Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights, it was critical when the devil came to him and said, turn this stone into bread. But until 40 days, you're just eating up all of the fat that you've got in your body. You don't start cannibalizing your body until after 40 days. So you feel like you're dying by noon on the first day. You got a headache and man, you're weak and stuff. All that is, is flesh. It's your appetite. And if you deny this appetite and your body starts saying, feed me, and you say, no, we're going to fast all day long. And your body says, 
I'll never make it until supper. I'll be dead. And you say, all right, we'll go until tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll be dead for sure. All right, three days. And you know what? Your flesh will say, I better shut up if I'm going to survive. And you can actually bring your flesh into subjection through fasting, denying it and saying, body, you are not controlling me. I'm controlling you. You are my servant. I am not going to obey you. If you don't do that, and then you go to saying, in the name of Jesus, I command this pain to leave. Pain, you leave my body. Your body you may not hear it say this, but your body will say, who are you to tell me what to do? I tell you when to eat, what to eat, how much to eat. You hadn't told me what to do in 20 years. I dominate and control you and your body will just say, I hurt. I don't care what this faith stuff is. I hurt and you will be dominated and controlled by your body. But if you fast and do it on a regular basis, did you know you'll get to a place that your body will start learning these things? There's a scripture in um, Romans chapter five says, experience gives hope and hope makes not a shame. Did you know once you start taking steps of faith and you experience victory, you can train your senses. It says in Hebrews chapter um, five, I believe, chapter four, verse 12. Anyway, I went blank on this one, but it's the last verse of either Hebrews chapter four or five. And it says strong meat belongs to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You have to exercise your senses. Exercise means it's not just a one-time thing. It's something you have to do on a regular basis. And you can exercise your senses to get to where they flow with God. And the way you do it is by denying yourself. It doesn't have to be a fast, but that's one of the quickest ways. Fasting will bring your flesh to the surface in a hurry. If there's carnality in you, it shows up on a fast. Most people think fast is meant to be where you have an angel show up and you hear angels singing and you hear an audible voice from God and it's just a wonderful experience. Isaiah chapter 58 tells you about a fast. It's to afflict yourself. It's not good. It's bad. It'll flush every rotten attitude that you have on the inside of you to the surface and you'll have to deal with it and think, you know what? I wasn't that excited about the Lord after all. I think I'm a glutton. I can't make it without food. It'll flesh, flush your flesh to the surface and you have to deal with it. And as you deal with it and then see victory, you are training your senses. And you know what? I've seen, I've seen, I don't even know, 20 or 30 people raised from the dead. We've got, we just had somebody yesterday that shared with me that they're doing our healing university, which is a 60 hour teaching that we have, me and a bunch of my friends together. And they were doing healing university. And after it was over, they went out and a man on a motorcycle had hit a deer and he was dead. And they just went out and prayed for him. He was raised from the dead, got up and walked off. And that was right here in Grand Rapids area. They said it's really affecting the people around there that saw it. And that just happened last week. You know, once you see something like that, the next time you get up and say in the name of Jesus, your flesh will remember it and it'll be easier for you to believe. And if your body doesn't immediately respond, after a while, your body will say, oh, this is one of those faith deals. Man, I wish I'm talking as fast as I can. I got so much to say, but did you know, I believe God created us to have six senses, not five. Faith was a sense. Adam and Eve walked by faith, not by sight. We have lost that sixth sense, but when you get born again, Paul said, we walk by faith, not by sight. You have an ability to walk by faith. If a person loses their eyesight, did you know that they start depending more upon their healing, hearing, and they can actually get around. I've got a person in my Bible school that you can't hardly tell that they're blind, but they are blind and they are walking around. Now, the last one that was like that, using a stick, they didn't stay blind the whole time. They got totally healed before they graduated from school. But anyway, this person is blind and, and they're just amazing how that they can use this touch and hearing and they can do things. They depend on it. Did you know that after a while, you start, your hearing starts compensating for you not being able to see? You can do the same thing with faith. If all you've got is five senses, 
you're limited. But after you start using faith, then all of a sudden you say, I'm healed. And your body says, you are not. You still got pain. And you say, but I'm believing God. And they say, oh, faith. This is like that other time I saw a miracle happen. And you, your senses begin to start getting in line because you've controlled them. They start, they saying, oh, we're walking by faith now instead of just by what we see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. So fasting will help you to start bringing your body under control and your body will start obeying you instead of you being led around by all of the pains, the hurts, and everything else you've got. And then it says fasting and prayer. You know why prayer affects this type of unbelief? Because when you're praying, you're talking to a God that you can't see and you're hearing a God that you can't hear you're walking by faith. You're operating in the spirit realm. And if you get to where you live by faith, you can, the Lord speaks to me all of the time, all of the time, all of the time. I mean, it's not a once in a while thing. There's once in a while I have maybe a major direction that he tells me, but every day he speaks to me. You get to where you start listening to him, you take action and you see things. And after a while, your flesh, your five senses go to recognizing, oh, here we are. We're being dominated by faith. And you get to where you trust faith just as much as you trust feeling. But that doesn't happen automatically. For you to overcome this unbelief that comes through just your five senses, you have to spend time in the presence of God. You have to fast. You have to pray. You have to focus on God and get to where faith is as real to you as what you feel. I had a doctor one time, my board made me go get a um, physical to take out an insurance policy. And uh, so I went and took this physical and it was funny because they wanted to shave this hair on my chest and put these electrodes on. And I told them, I said, this is virgin hair. It's never been touched. I said, you can't shave the hair on my chest. So anyway, they put these things on without shaving my chest. And I was telling him, my son had just been raised from the dead. And I was telling him about, he was in a morgue, in a cooler, already had a toe tag on his toe. He was black and he was a white boy, but he was black. And I, I was telling them about this and they were just gobsmacked at the whole thing, listening to this. And uh, so anyway, I, I went through the whole test and, it, and he started looking at this long printout and stuff. And then he started looking at thing and he started grunting and saying, Oh, Oh, this, this looks bad. This is, this is bad. And he wrote out this thing on a piece of paper and he said, this is another doctor. You go over there. We're going to put you in the hospital. We're going to run tests on you. And we may do open heart surgery before the day is over. And you know what? My flesh just for a second thought about what? But I have been spending so much time in the presence of God and standing on the word and stuff like this that it didn't take but just a second or two. And I said, that's a lie. I said, there's nothing wrong with me. And this doctor just looked at me. I guess he wasn't used to people telling him that was a lie. And I said, that's nothing, there's nothing wrong with me. And he said, well, uh, right here. And I, I said, you show me that that says I've got a serious heart problem. He says, well, there was one place where it could be just a little bit wrong. It could have been because these things fell off my chest. He didn't even think about that. But anyway, I was holding two on. He was holding two. A nurse was holding two. And I was jogging all of this same time. And anyway, I said, you tell me that that says I got something wrong. And he says, well, it was just one little place. There might be nothing wrong with you, but I think we ought to go get it checked. I said, that's not what you told me. You told me I had a serious heart problem. I said, you lied to me. And I got mad at this guy. How dare you tell me and he just tore up this piece of paper and said, leave. And uh, anyway, he flunked me and I couldn't get insurance. So I've got a doctor on my board. I went to Shreveport. They ran a, a nuclear test and put some kind of a dye in me and did this. And he said, don't ever, ever, ever trust a treadmill test. He says, those things are wrong 50% of the time. He says, don't ever let somebody tell you that. And he checked my heart out and he said, you got the heart of a 17 year old. There was no problem. But I'm saying that, see, my flesh could have taken those words of the doctor. And if I would have believed that, then that unbelief would have hindered my faith. But I just have been, that's not the vision that I had on the inside. I mean, because of it, I had zero faith and 
it was easy to overcome. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you don't have a faith problem. You got all the faith that it takes. If you're born again, you got enough faith. The problem is you got too much, too much unbelief. You're listening to too many people. We've got over 40 videos on my website of people raised from the dead, multiple sclerosis healed, people getting up and walking out of their wheelchairs, blind eyes open, deaf ears open, uh, Crohn's disease healed. Uh, I don't know, just everything that you can imagine. We got two boys that were healed of autism that were so bad that they wouldn't wear any clothes and screamed and yelled. And now they're both in school and some of the most popular kids in our school living by themselves, moved over from England and lived by themselves, totally healed. We, we've got great miracles. And did you know one of the common things is that those people, once they got hold of the truth, they would not let anybody speak any unbelief around them. We've got this one testimony of a woman named Gina Boop, and she had an aneurysm, and the doctors told her, told her husband that there's no way she can live. And he says, go ahead and operate on her anyway. So they cut a hole in her head, and he's got pictures of all of this. You can go see it. And they cut a hole in her head right here to relieve the pressure, and they said, well, if she does live, she'll be a vegetable. And they said that the tumor's right here in between these two parts, why do you want to cut off her ability to walk or her ability to talk? And he said, I don't want you to cut off either of them. You just do the best you can and she'll be healed. Anyway, he refused to allow a doctor to say anything negative. He just stood there and believed God. And because of it, his wife is totally healed. I'm telling you, the problem isn't faith. The problem is your unbelief and that we will let a doctor, we'll let a loved one People that mean well, they mean well. But when they come up and they say, oh, we're so sorry to hear about what they said. That may sound okay, but you know what it is? They wouldn't be sorry like that if they had any faith that you were well. It's because they see you dead and that pity will kill you. You gotta get to a place to where, look, I'm gonna live and not die. I am not dying of this thing. And you have to stand against unbelief. And the power of the Lord is present to heal right here tonight. You don't have to work him up. You don't have to do something. We don't have to have the lights just right and everything. There is no problem with God. The problem's all with us and our unbelief. And so, yes, we use music because music is a powerful force and there's nothing wrong with us worshiping the Lord and getting into a place where our attention is focused on God. There's nothing wrong with giving testimonies and saying, man, you need to come because God's here. We use all of those things, but you don't have to feel a thing to operate in the supernatural power of God. If you would just get rid of your unbelief, but it only comes out, this kind only comes out through being in the presence of God, through disciplining your body, through focusing upon God, getting your nose in the Word of God. Amen. And I'm telling you, if you do that, you can see any type of miracle that you need, anything. There is no respecter of persons. There is no problem on God's part. We, have, we, we just held a meeting where we saw over a thousand people testify in two hours that they had been healed. A thousand people saw physical results in two hours time. Man, we saw some awesome miracles happen. Matter of fact, we had a little baby that they came and while, while we were on the stage, they came up and laid the baby on the platform and it was dead, 14 month old baby. And we just prayed and that baby came back to life right in front of our audience and stuff. It works, but you got to get rid of unbelief. You've got more than enough faith. You got more than you need, more unbelief than you need. We need to focus on God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray right now for every person in here. I've shared these truths with them, and I pray that the Word of God would bear witness in their heart that they would embrace this truth. And Father, quit saying that they don't have faith and that they can't believe. Father, if we've received salvation, we've got enough faith to receive anything. Thank you that we don't have a faith problem. We turn on our unbelief right now. 
We turn on the doubt. We turn on the negative things that have been spoken against us. Every curse, every diagnosis, everything that's contrary to what your word says. We just cancel this right now in the name of Jesus. We let God be true and every man a liar. Your word says that by your stripes we were healed. If I was healed, I am healed. I refuse to be sick. I refuse to have sickness and disease. Father, I thank you right now that by your stripes I was healed. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you and we receive these healings right now. If you are believing God for a healing and if your faith is now quickened and you're ready to turn on your unbelief and start speaking forth your faith, I want you just to stand right where you are and I believe God's gonna start healing people right now in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Here's eyesight being healed. Don't open your eyes and look. See with your heart. Look with your heart right now. Grab it in your heart and say, I've got it in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you that by your stripes I was healed. I command stigmatisms to be gone, for eyes to be healed in the name of Jesus. Eyes you open up. Somebody here who was dealing with glaucoma, it's gone. Cataracts, gone right now, dissolved in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you and release this anointing. Somebody here has had a throat cancer. I don't know if you've had it operated on or not, but throat cancer is being healed right now. Here's the healing power and the anointing of God. Boy, there's all kinds of things. Joint pains, arthritis, all kinds of physical ailments where your knees, your hips, uh, cartilage is gone and things. Here's the healing power of God touching you right now. The way you need to respond to this is to say, yes, Father, I receive it. Somebody's saying, how do I know if that's me? If you got that problem, it's you. Amen. Just reach out and receive it right now. Father, I thank you that it's me. And you start moving what you didn't feel like doing. And you start taking authority over your body and tell body you are responding to me. We are healed right now in the name of Jesus. Somebody's lungs, you've had problems breathing. You are your own oxygen. I don't know if you're on it right now, but you use oxygen. Here's lungs being healed right now in the name of Jesus. Whatever that damage is, we command these lungs to be healed. You breathe properly right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That's the power and the anointing of God right here flowing, touching people's lives. Father, we thank you. Somebody here has had a brain tumor and here's the healing power of God. You've been diagnosed with it I don't know if you have any physical symptoms, but that thing's leaving you right now. This is a word from God. You are healed. That thing is gone in the name of Jesus. This brain tumor is gone in Jesus' name. All kinds of back problems. Man, there are just so many things happening. See, when you quit focusing on what you don't have and instead focus on what you do have and you just go to believing God, God is wanting to heal every one of you. He just can't get past our unbelief. Tonight, I've helped destroy that unbelief. And because you're believing God and saying, Father, I do believe you and I am receiving my healing. God's healing all kinds of people. All kinds of things are happening right now. Boy, stomach problems are being healed. People that have had irritable bowel syndrome, your colon is being healed right now. Somebody's uh, rectum problems are being healed now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. From head to toe, Father, we just release your power. We command the anointing of God to flow for limbs that haven't worked to work. For parts that are paralyzed, we command that paralysis to go right now in the name of Jesus. We command muscles to work that haven't been working before in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. Memory, I'm commanding memory to come back to people in the name of Jesus. The memory of the righteous is blessed. Father, we thank you and we just receive miracles of healing in our minds right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Heart problems are being healed. Heart arrhythmia. Heart that's out of uh, rhythm. Right here's the anointing of God flowing and touching you. Command that to come now. Pulled muscles, muscles that have been uh, hurt, Charlie horse, 
things like that healed right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we receive this anointing. Praise the Lord. Man, I wish I had time to lay hands on you. I couldn't lay hands on this many people anyway, but you just need to take some step of faith. You need to do something. If you didn't feel like doing something, do it. If you didn't feel like bend over, bend over. If you had something that hurt, punch it, poke it. Say in the name of Jesus, I'm talking to you. You be healed now in the name of Jesus. Do something, amen. Just thank you, Father. Let's praise God and thank God that you're healed. Father, we receive it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Even if I don't feel it, you're working. Even if I don't see it, you're working. You never stop working. You never stop working. Let's sing that. Come on. Hallelujah. You never stop. You never stop working. manifestation of what you were praying for. Your pain's gone. You can do something. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and wave it at me so I can see. Man, there's hands all over this place. I wish we had time to take your personal testimony, but the Bible says you overcome the devil by the word of the lamb and the, uh, uh, the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You tell somebody, you tell other people about this and stand on it. And those of you that haven't already seen something, you just need to war against these thoughts, this unbelief. That's where the problem is. You've got healing. Healing is in you. You're already healed. The only thing that's hindering it is our doubt and unbelief. So the way you get rid of doubt and unbelief is hear the truth, renew your mind, and fast and pray and get rid of that type of unbelief and praise God. The faith you've got is more than enough to see healing manifest. Amen. Is there anybody here tonight who doesn't know Jesus personally? You know, I can't even see all of you. Let me just pray a prayer. And I want you, I want everybody to pray with me. And if you've never prayed this personally before, then you just make it personal. The scripture says, Romans 10, 9, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want you to just say this, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus has forgiven my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive, that you live in me, that I am forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen. If you meant that, Jesus just came into your heart. You're a brand new person. Pastor Dwayne's going to share with you how you can get some materials. But I tell you, it'll change your life. One other thing before I quit. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes many things, but it includes speaking in tongues then I don't think you're ever going to effectively overcome this natural type of unbelief. Speaking in tongues. I was just reading this afternoon out of Isaiah chapter 28. This is the rest and this is the refreshing wherewith you may call the weary to rest. And Paul quoted that in 1 Corinthians 14 and said he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is one of the most important things you can do. It's just like flipping a switch and turning on the power of God. 
If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, it's like charging hell with a water pistol. You need power. And that's what you get when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, man, you need it. Is there anybody in here who would raise their hand and say, I, I want this power of the Holy Spirit. I want this ability to speak in tongues. Man, there's a lot of people. These are people that have not received. You haven't received, but you want to. Keep your hand up. If you see somebody around you that has their hand up, would you just lay hands on them? I'm gonna lead them in prayer, but you lay hands on them. The Bible says through the laying on of hands that the Holy Spirit is given. So I'll lead in prayer, but you lay hands on them. And Father, right now, you said that you gave us a command to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You said that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit would be given. So we're laying hands on them right now and saying, receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come indwell your temple. Come fill us with your power right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And those of you that speak in tongues, let's just start quietly worshiping the Lord right now and speaking in tongues so that they won't feel like everybody's listening to them. And as we speak in tongues, you speak in tongues with us. You may say, well, what do I do? What do I say? Listen to the people around you. You can try and say what they're saying, but your tongue will come out different. It's unique to you. But just start speaking. Start speaking right now. Father, we loose this power of the Holy Spirit, this gift of speaking in tongues. Thank you that people are filled with your spirit. They're able to bypass their brain and pray right out of their spirit to you. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.